Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by longtime Restart volunteer and IT team leader, Dave Lukes. Hi. And today we have a special episode mixing a look at foreign repair cultures and discussion on uh, fuel poverty and what we can do to reduce our energy consumption and waste. Um, we have a special guest, uh, hopefully we're trying to connect to her, in Oslo, uh, Kaya Arnfeld. Kaya, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Hi, Kaya. So, Kaya, you started uh, uh, Restarters Oslo and it's a pleasure really to finally get back in touch with you. Um, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. So tell us a bit more about how you uh, got started with, uh, I believe, you what you call Fixer Fest. Apologies for my pronunciation. No. Um, yeah, we call it Fixer Fest for Electronic, which is uh, the Norwegian translation of reset party, so like a fixing party for electronics. Um, and we... I initially started this uh, as a back of my of writing my master thesis about the research project in London about <laughs> about research parties that you guys um, were holding um, and in Norway it's very much the same situation as other places that there's a massive high consumption of electronics and very little discussion on how we can more sustainably um, consume electronics. And so there was a, there was actually an article about reset parties in one of the big news newspapers in uh, Norway, which um, which uh, led to a different many different organisations actually thinking the same thoughts. Thinking this is this is something we really want to see in Norway. Um, and so I came together with uh, the state library and Norway Makers, which is an umbrella organisation for makerspace in Norway. And um, and also Naturvänsförbundet, which is an environmental organization in Norway. And we decided this is something we really want to see here. So from there we've yeah been now we've had our first uh, research party in Oslo. Wonderful. So I remember when you were uh, with us in London studying a bit about what we do and uh, learning and contributing back. Um, I remember the time when. Um, Norwegian journalists visited and we took pictures at one of our Brixton events and uh, there you go now you're starting a new arm of the movement up in Oslo and from my understand yeah. not just in Oslo No I'm, I don't know how far the others have come but I've been getting emails from groups in Hammerfest and in uh, Kristiansand and also people in Bergen who are saying, hey, is there, a, is there a restart party close to me? So I'm hoping this is something that's going to, people are going to take up on in different parts of Norway. 
And what's been different uh, in your direct experience uh, with the events in, in Oslo compared to what you used to see in London? Mm. I don't know if there's been a mass... Or we only had one research party so far, so I think that we will, when we have been having more, we will see more clearly if there's differences. Um, but at least I feel like there's a massive enthusiasm for this, which I also saw in London. Um, and that people are very, they don't feel that they've, this is something new that they haven't seen before, which is creating a lot of, in, a lot of enthusiasm for the fact that this suddenly is possible to actually repair these things. Uh, it's an opportunity that people hadn't really foreseen, I think, which is uh, creating a lot of engagement. Excellent. From from your uh, perspective, it looks like there's a lot more organizations that are supportive there immediately as you begin compared to what we've seen here where we had to do a lot of activity on the ground before anyone would notice. And I wonder, does that mean that in Norway, environmental groups are a bit more uh, organized or supported? Um, that might be, and I, but I also think that, in a sense, not necessarily that your direct groundwork in London, but groundwork that's been happening other places in Norway has also led to uh, led to their becoming making Norway very ready for these kind of initiatives. Um, and then also, I think there's for for a long time there's been um, popping up other initiatives like. Um, like uh, as, as clothes swapping parties, for example, where people swap their clothes, which has become a really big hit. Uh, and there's quite strong environmental groups in Norway that have a lot of local engagement um, and that is quite ready for adopting uh, new kinds of initiatives that you can, uh, that you can take on uh, grassroots, which I think has enabled this initiative to really spark on. And there's also been a readiness in terms of, for example, the State Library had al already uh, made their first uh, first workshop in one of, the, one of their main libraries in Oslo, and they're looking into how can we create, how can we lend out more tools, for example, in different libraries. So they were very much on this, on this, uh, um, on the same wavelength. Um, and then you also have, um, like Norway Makers. Who's really interested in okay? How can we how can we spread um, digital learning and and uh, engage young people and in in becoming interested in understanding how we can uh, become more empowered in the meeting with new technology? And so for them, this is also really interesting as a way of discovering and opening up and learning about uh, electronics. It so seems I think it's it's many different agendas that's kind of merged. It it fits with our own uh, appreciation of of how complex and multifaceted all of this is. Um, Dave, you've had a lot of experience <coughs> in libraries in in London, where there is a desire to, in a sense, reinvent uh, the original meaning of what a library is. Oh yeah, very much so. Um, my local council, Hackney, shout out for them. Um, giving us free space in the libraries to do restart parties. And also generally they're making, they're looking at libraries that 
becoming a much more general community space. So they're talking about having regular fixing events as part of their schedule of library events. Yeah, there we go. And uh, the making agenda is quite interesting also because, um, Kaya, uh, normally, I don't know if in Oslo it's different, but the maker spaces don't necessarily have uh, the strongest uh, uh, focus just on an environmental message. So to actually hybridize these topics and might bring benefits, mm -hmm. not just in terms of digital learning, but also reflecting a bit more about what we make and why. Yeah, I think that's really important. And um, I think that's something that could come even more forward in Norway as well. Uh, I think the maker culture is, is just kind of starting to to, um, to the sort of set ground, if you can say that. Mm -hmm. And there was a first maker fair, or in Norwegian, Skarper Festival, um, in this autumn. Uh in, in Norway, um, and I think definitely definitely that kind of merging these two agendas uh, is really important, and it's something that's that that is in, like the fixing parties can the research parties can also bring to the to the maker culture here. Excellent. Um, I would like to play a small clip uh, from a video that perhaps Kaya you might recognize uh, having heard mm -hmm. before. It's kind of just as bad as poverty, if you ask me. Sunlight puts smiles on people's faces. People don't ignore starving people, so why should we ignore cold people? Frostbite kills too. Africa, we need to make a difference in Norway. We need to collect our radiators, ship them over there, and spread some warmth, spread some light, and spread some smiles. Say yes to radiate. <laughs> so for those of you who have not heard this before, this is uh, part of a campaign called originally Ready Aid, um, <laughs> which started from students in Norway, uh, if I understand correctly, Kaya. Yeah, that's <laughs> correct. Um, I'm unsure which year this was, but it started um, the uh, Students and Academics uh, International Help Fund uh, that wanted to create a different, different twist on what, how do we actually perceive aid. Um, and this campaign went uh, really viral a few years ago. Yeah, this video has played over three million times uh, uh, <laughs> since uh, 2012, and it has uh, sparked uh, um, yearly awards on the worst stereotypical video <laughs> um, about aid, uh, and it's quite interesting to really look at things uh, in retrospect and yeah. reverse and see how... Yeah. <laughs> well, we try always to think about what we can send uh, to <laughs> African countries. Actually, what can we get from African countries to heat up poor Norwegians' <laughs> homes? And so I, I was just wondering um, whether you've seen already, you've done a couple of events, a test one and a, a successive one. If you see a participation from people who are trying to make do with the things that they wouldn't necessarily be able to afford buying again um, in your experience in Norway? Um, what I've seen so far, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the biggest reason for why people come. I think um, there's a combination of why people come 
both out of frustration with not being able to to take care of their things and from an environmental point of view, but also in terms of wanting to learn and also that this is this is a new kind of exciting things to experience. Um, and of course, I think this comes also down to what you want to repair. Like there's a big difference between repairing an iPhone, which which obviously have a much larger economic uh, benefits than repairing a a um, a um, an old toaster for the from the from the 80s, for example. Um, so I think definitely yes, economics probably have an have a has an impact, but I don't think that's the main reason why people necessarily come. That's not to say that people in Norway, that this doesn't exist poverty in Norway as well. Uh, but I think there's a mix of reasons why people come to the events. Right. Well, uh, thank you. So you have a kayak upcoming events. If any of our listeners are uh, thinking of traveling to Oslo in the new year, uh, when is your next yeah. event happening? 28th of January. 28th? In Oslo. Mm. Looks yeah, like it, 28th. Will, it will be a very busy day. I believe there's an, <clears throat> two events happening, one in Hackney and yeah. one in Essex on the same day. So we might try to <laughs> connect everyone. Uh, thank you for talking to us today and uh, to more fixing in the new year. Thanks, Kaya. Thank you. So, Dave, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, we haven't seen you in a while, uh, but it's always great to have you. So today, uh, just following up on the provocative campaign, uh, which we played a bit about bringing radiators mm -hmm. from Africa to Norway, uh, we wanted to talk a bit more about uh, fuel poverty and energy efficiency at home. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of rhetoric going around around the role of smart meters uh, in uh, uh, helping people make uh, smart decisions about how to save energy, etc. But there doesn't seem to be a strong background of real data uh, in proving the connection between having a nice, super new gadget that tells you mm. that you're using energy and people changing their behavior necessarily. What's your take on this? Um, my take is that smart meters will have at a a best a marginal effect on fuel consumption because if you've got a badly insulated house that literally leaks heat, as many houses in this country do, what difference is that going to make? All the best estimates say it's a few percent at most. And given that you can probably save about 10-20% of your energy just by insulating your the gaps in your doors and windows... I think, like a lot of new gadgets, it's a waste of time, let's be blunt, in real terms. I'm not saying long-term it isn't a good thing to do, and it'd be really useful for people in the future to be able to say, well, one of the things they claim is you'll be able to, for instance, see the real-time cost of your electricity, and it will fluctuate. So, for instance, when, the, when there's a lot of wind and the wind farms are generating, you'll be able to boil your kettle more cheaply. So if you want to, you can wait 10 minutes, and your cup of tea will cost you a small fraction of a penny less. That's great in theory. In practice, I'm not going to delay my cup of tea to save one hundredth of a penny. Right. And as my own experience is, the best thing you can do is insulate your home carefully. 
that really is a massive cost saver. I had gaps around my windows and a couple of gaps around the doors. I just needed to get my finger out and insulate them, and my electricity bills have dropped dramatically as a result. And uh, so while all of this uh, confront, compares negatively with the cost of sort of £200 per smart meter yep. per 60 million households and businesses mm-hmm. to be invested by b- before to 2020, I believe, yep. which is an insane amount of money. And we've learned also that smart meters at times are not compatible with all <laughs> providers. So what happens if you change provider? Well, apparently, in many cases, your smart meter will suddenly become not so smart. In other words, it will revert to being a dumb meter. It's quite funny because it reminds me uh, of the routers we have at home. If you (laughs) change provider for your broadband, you are immediately sent a new router and (laughs) the previous one becomes completely useless which is quite wasteful and some providers go at great length in trying to ensure that there is a green way to send it back to them while the greenest thing would be to continue use the one you have of course yes as we've always said it's the same what's that saying you know the most ethical mobile is the one in your pocket and the most ethical router is the one you're using at the moment not the one you throw away in order to get a new one which, to be honest, will have no new facilities. It will just have a different badge on it. Yeah. And back to uh, issues of energy efficiency. I mean, the other strange thing that we experience in, in this country is that a lot of people might be on the same provider uh, for energy, whether it's gas or electricity or both, but they are on very different tariffs, depending yeah. on the day of the month they might have joined. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and whether you sign up for a fixed-cost tariff and whether you're on a prepay meter or pay monthly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, the electricity companies will argue vehemently that there are good reasons for this. On the other hand, if you look around, some, some of the providers only have one tariff, and they say they do that because it's transparent. You know how much you're paying for your electricity, and you just pay it, and that's an end to it. And... You go back, I think one of the providers has eight different tariffs, and that's without distinguishing things like economy seven cheap night rate electricity and so on. So how are you supposed to navigate that minefield? And certainly there's been not a decrease and uh, to some extent an increase in fuel poverty in in this country. And Mm -hmm. uh, there are some staggering figures of 2.38 million households that live in fuel poverty. And fuel poverty is defined by uh, meaning that it's the houses where households where the cost of making the house warm enough would be taking that household in poverty in practical terms. And there are some good news. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been a scheme by Oldham Council called the Warm Home Schemes that has advised residents on how to reduce energy bills and to help them figure out whether they're eligible for insulation grants and helping more than 3,500 people out of fuel poverty in its first three years and making a claim Mm. that actually that has a direct positive benefit in saving costs from uh, health, uh, whether it's mental health or general physical health. And there is something to be said about uh, better insulation and 
a house that feels sufficiently comfortable in improving every other's conditions in the house. Yeah, totally. Um, also, other things like damp, for instance, in this country, famous problem. If your house is a little bit too cold, you get condensation. That leads to rot, it leads to respiratory diseases, all sorts of things. So, yeah, um, and the, here's another problem with fuel poverty is that if you're so poor that you can't afford to pay your fuel bills, you're never going to be able to afford to insulate the house because that's a big upfront cost. So what happens instead is people spend their last pennies paying the electricity bill to effectively heat the outside world because they're losing 10, 20, 30% of their, of their energy costs, whether gas or electricity, it doesn't matter. You're still losing a massive percentage. And, of course, private landlords and even to some extent um, housing associations and other social landlords don't have an incentive to change their situation. Right. The lack of incentives in, in the UK is particularly shocking given that um, the UK is often defined the cold man of Europe, <laughs> given that um, according to statistics, um, it's among the countries where there's most energy inefficient housing stocks in yep. Europe. Out of 11 countries, walls rank at number seven, roofs at number eight, floors 10 and Windows 11 out of 11 countries cold. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've all been there and seen draft uh, spreading in, in every direction yeah. in the winter. And there's been recently a campaign, um, the National Energy Action Warm House campaign, Warm Homes campaign, uh, which uh, reveals that there's exceptionally slow progress in tackling problems of fuel poverty and energy efficiency to an extent that if you are... A young child born now, it's very unlikely that you will see fuel poverty being tackled entirely by the time you die. Like it's projected that yeah. it will take more than 80 years at this rate to deal with this problem. And we, we were quite um, alarmed by this also because um, one of the campaigners in this uh, is the lead actor, Dave Johns, the lead actor from uh, I, Daniel Blake, the latest Ken Loach film, which really made me so angry when I, when I watched it. I, I love the film, but it also made me think about what we need mm -hmm. to practically do to change the status quo. And as you say, if people end up spending a lot more just to pay their fuel bills and any smart gadget attached to it as opposed to getting their home insulated and getting a good deal when they try to do that that is a problem yeah. we've, we've come across a few tips and tricks for <coughs> yeah. improving your energy efficiency some of them are more relevant during the winter and some might be relevant uh, uh, throughout the year and so i wanted to ask you what you thought about some of the ones that we've been reviewing recently. Okay, um, there are some very sensible ones. One of the great ones, I presume, Ugo, you'll be putting some of these up on the Restart website? Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, add the links to our uh, mm -hmm. Restart uh, blog post. There's a great one, which is especially relevant at this time of year, which is how to make a draft excluder out of, you know when you get wrapping Christmas wrapping paper and it has those cardboard tubes in the middle? You get a pair of those and a pair of old tights you can make an amazing draft excluder out of them. It's really clever. Go look it up. Highly recommend it. It's a great idea. For uh, less than a pound, you can yeah. fix anything. Yeah. Um, as I said, if you any opportunity you've got to insulate your doors and windows, the gaps around them, 
um, do that before you do anything else. And one of the most important things is just find out where the cold is coming from. Literally, walk around your house, you know, put your finger up against the, the gaps and see where the draft's are coming from. And once you know that, you can concentrate on those areas. Um, other things, some really old houses, it's actually worth, if you can find some old bits of foam rubber, if you've got gaps in your floorboards, you may find there's a draft coming up from downstairs. In that case, simply insulate those with whatever you can get. Rolled up newspaper, even if you're desperate, maybe foam rubber if you can find some old packaging from somewhere. So this all makes sense to me because they're simple measures that don't require any high-tech solution yeah. nor any app or anything. So, you know, while we, we try to review technology, uh, it's actually great to be reminded that a piece of cardboard and a piece of rubber and perhaps yeah. an old blanket can actually go a yeah. great length in reducing your energy consumption. But there are some things that are more directly related to um, the work we do at the Restart. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you what you think about advice to switch off your computer at the end of each day as opposed to put it in on sleep mode. That actually saves very little energy at all. And the controversy is whether switching it on and off is going to cause it to fail more quickly. And that's not entirely clear. Um, I think a little bit of research was done on printers, which said that actually leaving printers on standby these days takes almost no energy. It's about one or two watts. Um, so who knows? The other thing is if the computer is in the house, the tiny bit of energy that it consumes will eventually warm the house up as well. So it's not being totally lost. So it's unlikely to be worth turning it off just for that tiny saving. You're going to save tiny fractions of a penny. You're better off replacing your light, old inefficient light bulbs with low energy light bulbs, for instance. Particularly LED ones. Oh, yes. Yes, my favorites. And uh, in terms of... Uh Fridges and freezers, uh, I've come across something that might be common knowledge, but it wasn't for me. And uh, so apparently, if you use a freezer, you might as well try to keep it as full as possible. Why is that? Oh, right. This is not obvious, actually. But, you know, when you open your freezer, you get a draft of cold air coming out. That's actually all the cold air leaving the freezer. And, of course, it's being replaced by the warm air in the room. So the freezer then has to freeze all that air again. So strangely, yes, keeping your freezer full actually makes it more efficient because when you open it, you don't lose so much of the cold air out of it. So even if you just keep it full with stuff you don't care about, you know, for instance, I've got some of those annoying ice cube trays. I just stack them all in the freezer, even when I'm not making ice cubes, just to take up some more space. That's fascinating. and I hope we will not be uh, demystified as... Uh spreading rumors but it looks like <laughs> enough people are saying it which doesn't mean that it's not a fake it makes perfect sense <laughs> so uh, do you have any fun repair stories involving heaters um yeah i do have one quick one we've got a minute left um at my last the last restart party in hackney somebody came in with a heater which looked perfect but wasn't working turned out not very well made the overheat protection mechanism had triggered probably because it had been left on too long or something and it was simply a piece of bent metal which warped right i just had to straighten that up and suddenly we had a working heater again okay simple as that i have a funny story myself um 
I had brought uh, an electric heater to a restart party because it wasn't working. And because of the vibrations on the bus, by the time I got <laughs> there, it was magically working. <laughs> by the time I got back home again, it wasn't working again. So it required oh a second visit. But eventually it was just a switch and we figured out a way to uh, switch it on and off, irrespective of using that switch. So... It's all we have time for today. Uh, thanks, David, Dave, for being with us. My pleasure. And I hope you can bring more energy efficiency <laughs> tips uh, for the workplace and for the home in the new year. Thanks yep. to all of our listeners. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Find out more at therestartproject.org on the social media Restart Project. Thanks and Happy New Year.